This is the future. And humanity is all but extinct. First they start skipping prescribed drug dosages. Then they begin touching. I volunteer as tribute! You can stop this. You can change things. I know that there's something more. Then we've only got one choice. We fight. Fight the future with Dan and Paul. Welcome to Fight the Future with Dan and Paul. I'm Dan. And I'm Paul. And joining us this week is Emily. Hello. Hi, Emily. Who, yes. Hi, Dan. <laughs> Who is uh, not only works in a bookstore here in Victoria and is part of my uh, RPG group, but also is a person, the per- first person I actually heard the name of this story from. So I was like, where did I hear this from? Oh, yeah. Emily, uh, we were just talking about the podcast and mentioned this was a young adult dystopia. And because you work in a bookstore, you know, like, which ones are really popular, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which which of these do people come in all the time for? And uh, also, which of these do I sell constantly to people on sometimes just the word of my coworkers or somebody else who's read it? Because until actually the podcast came up, I hadn't read this book. Hmm. Do you regret some of your uh, recommendations? <laughs> um, I'm now trying to remember if I ever re- recommended it to someone who's kind of young, because I would feel really bad if I scarred some child. <laughs> but I usually recommended this one for older teens, especially parents or grandparents who would come in and ask for something for their young man in their life, I guess, who was getting into video games or had stopped reading or wasn't keen on reading because it was, and I quote, boring. So this would be a book that I would go to for that kind of demographic. I just hadn't read it. My grandson loves violence, but he also is really interested in gender politics. Can you point me to something? (laughs) Why, let me recommend The Knife of Never Letting Go. He loves Tumblr and (laughs) Counter-Strike. So let's not be uh, all coy. The book is called... The Knife of Never Letting Go by Patrick Ness, published in 2008. As with many of these series that we do, this is actually part of a trilogy, but we're just going to be talking about uh, the first book in the trilogy. It's called uh, The Chaos Walking Trilogy. And there's, Mm -hmm. yeah, three books and a few short stories part of it. So I'm interested in this whole book recommending thing. It's, It's like an algorithm, except it's people telling you what books to buy. Yes, I am like the living personification of the Amazon algorithm. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, it it comes from a lot of being around books and a lot of being around people and uh, especially working in the children's department, trying to hit that happy space between what a parent wants their kid to be reading, which is not always what the kid wants to be reading. Mm. So trying it's, it's helpful, of course, if the child is there and you can ask them, but... Yeah, it's it's definitely a bit of a, a bit of a jigsaw puzzle sometimes. Will this piece work mm-hmm. here? Will that piece work there? Um, but yeah. So tell me again about this book. So it stands out in some way it, for you as far as a book that you would recommend or a book that fits a certain niche. Yes, 
one, um, you're looking at a male protagonist, which a lot of, not kids, but parents, again, uh, being as they do a lot of the buying, if they're looking for a book for a boy and you recommend something like The Hunger Games, although not so much recently, or Divergent, sometimes they will say, isn't that about a girl? As mm. if the gender of the main character is what makes or breaks the story and how interesting it's going to be. Wow. Which is frustrating and leads to a lot of tongue biting from all of the staff, uh, at least at our store. But um, this one has a male character. And since a lot of people seem more concerned with trying to get young men to read, this book fits that sort of profile. Oh, mm. This character is a similar age to the person who you're trying to convince to read this book. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's actually quite interesting that, that this sort of young adult dystopia genre, uh, it's one of the only situations w where it's sort of, it's usually quite sort of action oriented. And yet the, you know, female protagonists are much, much more common than male protagonists in, in at least in some of the, in the more popular series. It yeah, seems, in the newer popular like. series. Yeah, it's fantastic to, to see how many female protagonists you're getting in these action roles. Hmm. driving the story as it were yeah and this has a boy as the main role but it's not completely traditional as far as a uh male boy heroic journey type of story so we'll, we'll talk about that probably mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty refreshing in certain ways even though it's still mostly based on violence <laughs> um, the, the title i think hints at that really yeah well that makes it cool to boys right it's got a knife in the title so cool. <laughs> it's got like a cover. big knife on the, on the cover. cover. Yeah. Yes. This is no girly book. Unlike um, what's what's the girliest young adult dystopia, which we haven't done yet, the selection. Have you have you been uh, seeing that yes, one? Yes, the selection. Yeah, she's wearing like a ball gown on the front. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's basically yeah. the same thing. I mean, as far as our podcast is concerned, but very different yep, marketing. Young adult dystopia, very different marketing. Very very yeah. different. So how about you and your relationship with uh, young adult novels? dystopias, science fiction? It's healthy. I have a healthy relationship with them. There's a lot of giving. <laughs> they give me ideas. I give them a place on my shelf. Um, I, I've i always been more of a fantasy person, I guess. Um, I didn't suggest it was an unhealthy relationship. <laughs> my, my defense, does that give me away? Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe. The lady doth protest too much. Would you consider yourself like a, f a fan of this sort of young adult? Oh, absolutely. Genre? Absolutely. 100% totally. I read stuff out of the, the young adult or children's section all the time. Hmm. And it's not just for work <laughs> at all. It makes a great excuse for why I'm always carrying around three or four kids books. Um, is like, oh, I work in the children's department at a bookstore, so I have to read these. No, I would read them anyway. I would. I can't not. <laughs> I love them. Uh -huh. That's great. So we have basically a, a total expert here on uh, no. <laughs> young adult no. fiction. And, and uh, you're more of a fantasy head, it sounds like. Yeah, I, I, you know, I was a Tolkien reader. I Right now I'm on a sort of fairy tale retellings kick. So yeah, it was a bit of a change of pace throwing in this Definitely. <laughs> diet. You'll join us as we talk about the setting of this book, as we do for every young adult dystopia. We'll Alrighty. talk about the plausibility, scariness, hope for the future, and a little section called How Would They Do, which I'll get into later. Right. Okay. You all ready for this? Okay. The setting. 
we sort of start a little bit bird's eye and then zoom in into different aspects of the world that are interesting and so on and just kind of freeform it. Well, I think it, you, you keep using the words bird's eye and I think it's interesting because that's not at all the introduction. I, at first, I didn't <laughs> realize that this was actually, you know, another planet in space. It had such a grounded feel to it, the swamp, the trees, the smells, the sounds, the, the heat. It's, it's not at all bird's eye, which I thought was quite interesting for the beginning of the book. Yeah, that, that it's right from the point of view of this main character, Todd Hewitt, 13-year-old boy born into a place called Prentice Town. And it's everything about how he sees the world. Mm-hmm. So as you say, it's a, it's an alien planet, as we discover. Mm-hmm. And it's human characters who we discover are pilgrims, I guess you could say, settlers uh, from who are Christian, like religious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the exact sort of denomination or whatever is kept fairly vague. Well, I mean, it's pretty clearly a monotheistic yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, but it's definitely some sort of conservative, conservative extremely... Fundamentalist. Extremely kind of. fundamentalist thing. And and they call where they are the new world, right? New world yes. and, and then old world, which is presumably Earth. We don't even really know. Yeah, that's never made clear. Uh, but it's just new world and old world. And they say, we'd aim to start a new life of purity and brotherhood in a whole new Eden. So a little bit of patriarchy right there already. <laughs> yep. Uh, and it was about 20 years ago that they landed on this planet with spaceships and started building farming communities from that point. Right, yeah. And they, they actually explicitly kind of did a Amish thing where they actually explicitly were getting away from the what they perceived as a problem in the old world as people, too much technology and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so we find out later on that they actually uh, like destroyed some of the technology they brought with them, radios and generators. generators and that kind of stuff, because this idea of, you know, going back to a more kind of simple life. Mm-hmm. I mean, this town itself is kind of a, a shithole. It's <laughs> it's uh, a town of 146 men that dies a little more with every day that passes, as Todd Hewitt puts it. And yeah, it's got one of everything and it's all run down. And only men. Prentice Town, the... That's also the other incredibly or huge aspect of this world is the noise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is this idea that everybody has their internal thoughts are just being broadcast around them as if they're speaking them out loud. Or picturing them because he often or, talks about the right. Sometimes you see the visual, the visual aspect of it. So just... it's, everybody is sort of involuntarily telepathic. Yeah. But and it has a it has an aspect of speaking as in the 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 more strong a thought it is the the farther away people are able to pick it up mm-hmm. and there's like if you're with sort of mental discipline you can they he sort of says make your thoughts smaller or make them smaller quieter quieter yeah and he talks about the different ways that people approach it sort of you know with calming themselves down and not a lot gets out or everything coming out and it being almost weapon like Hmm. Is 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 a because he talks about the the guy who runs the gas station as his thoughts being especially violent and coming out towards you and stuff. So that definitely there there are a variety of these these sort of noise is 
dangerous almost. It feels quite mm. quite physical in a way that I don't know if it's intended to be, but certainly left that sort of constant feeling of static. And we find out that it's only the men who mm-hmm. have this. Um, and of course, we don't realize that there are in fact any women on this planet at all because there are no women in this town because... What reasons. He, because because <laughs> he believes that they were killed by the same plague that, that this sort of strange disease that gave everybody telepathy also killed all the women. Mm-hmm. It turned out not to be the case. But spoilers. So many spoilers. Uh, but he, you know, he encounters a girl. She's sort of part of the scouting expedition from another settler ship that has been coming later. You know, th- there's this this whole part that is almost like it's it's kind of annoying at first because there's this thing where she's like constantly scared of everything and like running, a- running away all the time. And you're like, what is with this girl? Like, this doesn't make any sense because you're reading it from his perspective. He's like, what is with this girl? What's it doesn't make any sense. And then you find out that it's like she has no idea what's going on. She's not seeing people's mouths move, but she's hearing them. She's seeing images of all this weird stuff going on. She's basically totally freaked out. (laughs) Yeah, information overload. Totally, 100% information overload for her. But he's always describing her as being uh, sort of quiet, nothing, the void. Mm. And, And I thought that was the interesting contrast because to her, of course, she's not quiet. She's still got all of this internal dialogue that you never hear about, but that he's completely unaware of because she doesn't make any of this noise. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure it would be disconcerting for him, too. He he speaks about it, about how disconcerting it is to have a person who's not constantly broadcasting everything that they're thinking. Right. This sort of like inherent distrust. It's like, well, you <laughs> must be hiding something if you can't, if you're not <laughs> broadcasting this. Every, yeah. All yeah. When she lies to him for the first time, he's like, what the hell just happened? Like, <laughs> you just told something that was not true, and I believed it. At one point, yeah, she just says something, putting on a different accent, even. And that just totally like, weirds him out. Whoa, 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 whoa. I guess there, there are no actors. Like, acting isn't even... be a thing. Isn't a thing, because people would be like, you know, whatever. I am Richard Third, And then everyone's like, no, you're no, not. You're not. <laughs> <laughs> we can hear. You're obviously the, you know, You're obviously just guy. Sam from down the road. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that even though he experiences walking into town, there's a wonderful scene of him writing what it's like to walk through the middle of town. Oh, really yeah. tiny town, but just totally overwhelmed with all these awful thoughts from all the men around and just like pounding into your own sense of self and drowning your out your own thoughts and it's it's a nightmare. Even so, when he meets this girl who's silent, it's very disturbing to him still. Mm. And I mean, we we because we said, I mean, the they've been on this planet for 20 years or so. Um and he's just coming up to his 13th birthday. So he has never experienced not being able to hear everybody all the time. Yeah. And then they talk about how the mayor has stopped school. The mayor stopped letting people watch videos. The mayor... They've destroyed all the books. They've destroyed all the books. And so (laughs) the idea that now your whole basis for information is just the thoughts of the people around you who have also not got access to other outside information. It's just... It's just all a self-reinforcing Self-reinforcing, yeah, absolutely. The other really important part, which is my favorite part of this whole thing by far, is that 
animals also have noise. <laughs> Sheep! Which is the greatest thing Sheep. ever, yes. So depending on how, you know, intelligent the animals are. Yeah, so sheep just go sheep all the time. Sheep, 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 sheep. Or he's got a dog who's uh, who's very cool. What was Manchi. Man- Manchi. Yeah, Manchi. And so he'll be like, Todd, 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 poop. <laughs> poop, Todd, poop. <laughs> Which they basically ripped off for uh, Up, basically. Yeah. At one point he even yells, squirrel. Yeah, yeah. Squirrel, Todd, squirrel. Uh, Probably convergence was- thinking. Mm. Give me, giving me uh, a few uh, boy and his dog flashbacks. I gotta say, <laughs> that too. Yeah, I thought of a boy and his dog a couple times during this too. Maybe we'll find some comparisons. Hopefully not. Let's talk about some of the other communities that uh, we run into. So he and Viola flee the town, Prentice Town. They're out for them. They're we don't know exactly why, but they're they want to capture them. They want to kill them. And so they have to run out in the countryside, and we see some of these other communities along the way, and how they basically have their own dysfunctional approaches to the noise. So here's a passage about some of these other communities that we just hear about. We see a few that are kind of like hippie little communities that are a bit more functional. Settlements up the way, crazy as anything, noise sent them wild. Here tell of one where everyone wears masks so no one's kin can see their faces. There's another one where no one don't do nothing but sing all day long, they gone so crazy. Where everyone's walls are made of glass, and no one wears no clothes, because no one's got no secrets and noise, do they? That's interesting. Yeah. Another one we actually see segregates the women to way out of town. Mm-hmm. Carbonal Downs. Some... And, the, and the, the other one that, that that place does is they play music really yeah. loudly all the time. And it's always changing, right? Like, mm. it's not... It's not the same melody. It's just always little variations so that you don't get used to it. Because what's interesting is that while this is like a telepathic thing in that, you know, images are sent and, you know, they he often talks about colors, you know, mm-hmm. the, the noise, your noise is really red or something like that. Mm-hmm. There's definitely sort of an auditory aspect to it, like being close to something really noisy, just like no, loud music or a waterfall or something will drown out the noise, the you know, brain noise from other people, uh, even though that's actual real noise. So there's an interesting aspect of, you know, what does the noise actually what feel like? It? Yeah. yeah. So the biggest community that we run into here is called Haven. And uh, there's he says, there's got to be at least 50 buildings in all, maybe 100. It's the biggest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. So that's the upper limit, 50 buildings. Mm-hmm. 50 buildings. And Viola is like, Oh, <laughs> I, I was kind of hoping it was going to be bigger. Yeah. <laughs> That's all, huh? Yeah, the way that the world changes over the course of this book, too, is that this army of people comes out of Prentice Town. Uh, right. Collecting people on the way in, in some ways. It, initially, it seems like the entirety of Prentice Town, 150 or however many people, have mobilized to catch this kid who's run away yeah well i think they have what the hell yeah it doesn't make any sense and then of course their plan and the the sort of what's going on becomes more clear as things go on but Mm -hmm. yeah there's this army then the army's big they talk about like a thousand people it's an explicitly misogynistic army of all men who kill all the women and this is where we learn that that's what happened to the women of prentice town is Mm -hmm. that they were murdered by the men 
because they hated their silence. And they were stirred up to it by the religious preacher, Aaron, who become, who's something of an unstoppable terminator over the course of this book. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, yeah, holy crap. <laughs> so unbelievably, un- every time, every time. Again, <laughs> if they made this into you know, a movie or TV oh, show, I do not no, want to see that. Because <laughs> uh, over the course of the book, he, Aaron uh, becomes more and more messed up with horrible things that have happened to him that should have killed him like 10 times over. Yeah. And somehow he, his righteous vengeance or whatever will not rest. His obsessive compulsion. So there's one other aspect, which is the spackle. Right, yes. Ah, yeah. We can talk about the spackle. Yeah. The spacks. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so that's that's the sort of aspect where it's like, oh yeah, this is an alien planet. There and are aliens. Yeah, it turns out that there are aliens on it. I like that they actually talk about that uh, they sort of keep to themselves to the point where, like, the initial surveys of the planet didn't even know they were there. Mm-hmm. And so they thought it was an uninhabited planet. And so they <laughs> landed and they're like, oh, Oops. there's these things that are described as sort of human-like, but sort of the proportions are all wrong. Mm-hmm. Of course, all these people who are so messed up by having the noise everywhere that they're willing to kill all the women are obviously the first thing they did was try to kill all the aliens. Yeah. Yeah, they seem to be somewhat technologically early forest people, as far as we can tell. Right, and they they talk about, yeah, there's like the war between the settlers and the spackle, and they say, you know, the the war was pretty predictable. The settlers had guns, the spackle didn't. It didn't take too long. Yeah. (laughs) Just when a very disturbing and yet concise way of putting it it's happened before (laughs) plausibility there's the noise and you know the implications of that and then there's the is it plausible that that's that people would actually go as totally insane as they do in the book which i guess is disturbingly plausible (laughs) (laughs) yeah it certainly certainly seems unfortunate and disturbing, but but somewhat plausible, yes. Yes, it's kind of a worst-case scenario for people adjusting to this uh, change in basic human life. Yeah. In the sense that mm-hmm. they're already settlers kind of way out on the edge of survivability, and then this happens. They really didn't deal with it well at all. No. Right. I mean, you can imagine it's one of those things where if resources were plentiful— and things were going really well that, you know, it becomes easier to make friends with the spackle and deal with things. But as things start getting difficult and we hear various accounts that it, the early years especially were difficult in a lot of ways that weren't related to the noise, just the act of homesteading on mm-hmm. this crazy alien planet. When you're doing really badly, you start sort of looking for a scapegoat. And obviously the aliens and the people who are different become the targets immediately. Yeah, that does seem to be kind of what happened is... We do we do learn that Prentice Town used to be called uh, New... Elizabeth Town. New Elizabeth Town. And the mayor of it used to be Elizabeth. So obviously, at least at some point, women were mayors. And, and you know, like there was a... Some stuff was a little bit more 
equal. <laughs> I like that they are religious, though, because this is wiped out of almost all the science fiction that we read. I probably thanks to Gene Roddenberry or whatever, but like majority of people in America are Christian. And uh, mm. so it makes sense that people in the future will also be Christian, even if they're on spaceships and whatnot. Or, you know, some of them, they'll be different religions. And yeah, this is edited out of every young adult dystopia I think we've read so far. I think it becomes a heavy topic. I think maybe it's easier to just not deal with it as a right. as an author. For readers. Yeah, but this one takes on some really tough... Although I did notice that um, there's no mention of gay people in this book, which... I, I wonder, are Ben and Killian... Yeah, exactly. Gay? Are they a gay couple? It certainly seems as though they are, but it's never mm-hmm. outright mentioned. And like, why the hell wouldn't they mention it? the noise, yeah. Why wouldn't they mention it? Because it would be in their noise. I, I got the impression that it was a thing that, you know, it's in their noise and they, you know, they talk about how they're used to sort of hiding things in the noise. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but yeah, like, it's very interesting to think of it interacting with religion because religion is very much about presenting a certain face of a respectable person, uh, at least mm. Christianity as I know it, modeling a certain type of person, a certain behavior. And if your thoughts are projecting all the time, that must screw it up. Like, he talks a lot about the kind of sexual fantasies he's bombarded with as a 13-year-old boy just walking around. Mm-hmm. You can't well, control and, that. Yeah, and I mean, Aaron, the the uh, the crazy pastor guy who keeps attacking him, says like over and over again, you know, your noise betrays you, boy, and stuff like that. Like yeah. he's, like he he literally, uh, like even when he first, like when he's not actively trying to kill him, like when he first just like meets him in the thing, he's like in his... In his noise, he's like, oh, oh, F, it's Aaron. Like, he actually, like, (laughs) E-F-F-F, it's Aaron. Uh, And then Aaron's like, hey, no swearing, whack. (laughs) Right? Yeah, which, I mean, to be honest. That's got to suck. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, being a kid growing up in a town and not only having to be, like, on your best behavior or whatever because everybody is super religious, but having... Your best you know, thoughts. <laughs> even even your thoughts could get you in trouble. But that's yeah. that's what Catholicism is like, actually, uh, now that I think about it. It's not just behaving properly. I, I'm taking it from a very liberal, wishy-washy Christian upbringing where mm. you just have to go through the motions. But in Catholicism especially, you have to think the right thoughts. It can be a sin to think lustful thoughts. Right. Yeah. And then you have to go and confess. But normally, you, normally can't that check. can't be verified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the, the version of th- thoughts of this one, it'd be interesting to talk about. It's conscious experience is what's projected. The thoughts that we know we're thinking. When you're talking to yourself, when you're visualizing something, basically mm-hmm. what we would call sort of working memory. There's one model of thinking that has visuospatial sketch pad as one part. It's like a blank slate. You can draw whatever you want on it or bring pictures onto it and stuff. It's where you work out spatial problems or uh, remember things visually. And then there's the auditory loop, which is basically you talking to yourself without moving your lips. It actually activates the auditory part of your brain. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously, you know, when you're reading, mm-hmm. for well, instance, this. You might be sub-vocalizing what, of, what you're... Yeah, but I mean, you're you're I, at least for me. I'm certainly even if I'm not like sub vocalizing, I'm 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 definitely forming the words in my mind. So presumably, somebody could be like sitting behind you on the bus and just like reading what you're reading. <laughs> by <laughs> well, just he talks to about it. doing that because he sort of he opens up his his noise to Viola and she helps him read parts of the 
the mm. journal. Mm. And he, he talks about sharing his experience of Aaron hitting him with Ben. Right. So that's be like specifically like recalling this that memory. Specific memory here is what but then yeah, it's it's also your your working memory, the things that you're doing at the moment, right? Like Yeah. Because and they it, it seems to be that it's a constant feed. So You know what and of course there's the when when there's something that you don't want to disclose that it's sort of don't think of a purple elephant thing, right? <laughs> That you know, that that aspect of, of trying not to think about the thing that you're trying to not think about. And obviously these are these are people who have had a lot of experience with that, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. In some cases we hear about people who can sort of control their thoughts. The couple that he runs into, Todd or Tom and Hildy. Mm, yes. Where where <laughs> he he talks about oh yeah I've had to learn how to hide things real well because she can go through everything and, <laughs> and find out all the all of what I've been doing and and she says oh you get better and better at hiding stuff and I get better and better at finding it and <laughs> the the sort of the old married couple trope <laughs> that they have going on definitely has right. a sort of comforting. They do talk about this idea of not only can you project I guess your your feelings more strongly by sort of visualizing stuff. But there's also this aspect of probing. Yeah. And you can actually feel it when somebody is sort of trying deliberately to kind of probe Look your, through your things. But I think there's that's pretty limited. I think you can't actually dig into someone's deep memories, for example. I think mm. it has to be right at the top of their vision. The idea, though, is that if it's something that is, you know, if you're trying to keep a secret from somebody, and so you're trying not to think of that secret... But it, that's impossible, and so this what You're you right. do is you try to think of as many other things as you can, and so the skill becomes trying to differentiate between the things that are noise, noise, and the things that are real <laughs> noise. At the same time, sometimes you'll hear a word, like how you can hear your name from across a room in a very crowded or noisy mm. spot, and you'll almost always sort of, you'll hear that. Something in you will hear that, and it'll catch your attention. And so I imagine that some people are better at hearing the interesting things, the, the secrets that somebody is trying to hide. Maybe they're especially good at tuning into something that you don't want them to hear right. is kind of how I picture, like, and, basically and, eavesdropping. <laughs> well, and we, we hear about, actually, because, you know, he's the Todd's from Prentice Town, which uh, has this whole history of horrible stuff that everyone knows about. And so the first time he walks into a city or walks into a town, People are like, don't talk don't about Prentice. Don't talk about where you're Prent- from. Yeah, don't talk about where you're from. And he's like, Prentice Town? And then the nearest guy to him, he just hears in the guy's noise, Prentice Town? And then somebody else is like, Prentice Town? Prentice Town? Prentice Town? Prentice Town? And it just goes, you know, they, it, I believe it actually says, it goes like wildfire through the thing. Through the whole thing. Because that, you know, uh, like like your name across a room, that word is so evocative. Mm-hmm. Scariness. This book is so terrifying. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Just going to get that right out there. I yeah. did not sleep well that night. What were the parts that really got to you? It's it's incredibly visceral with the with when it does describe clear violence when when he talks about killing the spackle or when he talks about the attacks uh, on him like Aaron's mm. violence towards him. That's there's some pretty heavy very, yeah, very, very well described yeah. <laughs> violence that happens. It's it's very visceral. It's very very clear. Very evocative of. So okay, we're talking about the book being scary, but like the world as as a dystopia compared to other dystopias, 
also very scary. <laughs> if there wasn't the, you know, we're going to kill half the population. So if I were living in Far Branch as opposed Asper, to yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in one, if one, one of the One of the nicer towns. <laughs> and it wasn't about to be overrun by uh, an army of horrible people. In terms of scariness... So what it's a world think? where people can, where you have to listen to men's thoughts all the time, which uh, I was going to save this, but that's pretty much the world we're it's living in. It's pretty much now. my world anyway, um, <laughs> and like where you're constantly that's trying the, to... It's called the internet, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and just, you know, if I'm, you know, waiting at a bus stop late at night, yeah, I'm pretty aware of, of what kind of body language. Does, does he look kind of drunk? Does he look angry? Is he, does he seem threatening? What, what kind of situation am I in right now? So what, maybe it would actually be helpful to know mm. if, if he was actually a terrible person because you'd be able to hear him coming, you know, okay. with all of the violence. and You could. You wonder if it would be like a positive or a negative. No, the, they're the just... guy that you think is scary would actually be like, oh, I wonder what's over here. Like he's just, he's just like thinking you know, about some like, video game he was playing. Or, or you know, he's, he's like, oh, I forgot the milk. I knew I forgot something on the list. Do I, is it worth it to go yeah. back to the grocery that's store or not? Looks, you know, like, this is why, why he's looks so angry. angry. Yeah, yeah. And it would immediately become a new means to harass women as every Ugh. mode of communication has been basically yeah so constantly bombarded by terrible thoughts of like i mean you, you already often like working in retail or just just sort of being you know in the world existing uh being bombarded by looks or comments and now it's just like oh great so now you're thinking these things at me too fantastic you wonder about what will happen in, like, we're 20 years now, in 60 years, 100 years, and so now it's only people who have grown up with the noise. Right. Right. If you're an adult, you're, you know, whatever, in your 40s or something, and you come to this new world, and this thing suddenly happens to you, <laughs> it's insane, right? Yeah. Whereas Todd, I mean, obviously he has problems with, you know, he, he has to deal with it, and it's something that is sort of, a constant factor in his life but on the other hand the lack of it is even more disturbing for him and so you can imagine that maybe over time some of these more separation things might actually become less of a deal when as everyone just it just becomes the standard thing mm -hmm. as young people grow up dealing with social media yeah uh -huh. i guess that is true uh -huh. yeah. yeah i have to say like there's a horror for me of the idea of being so exposed. Like I'm, I'm such a private person. I really value being able to control what I expose to the world. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's, it just seems absolutely suffocating the experience. Like when you're a child and you're dominated by all these adult voices. Yeah. That a, particular aspect boy, of it. Seems... And they're also religious fucks, uh, like right wing garbage people who killed all their women. So like, he, I'm, I was totally sympathizing with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah that that aspect of it's like it's like not only are all your most private thoughts being broadcast to the world, but the idea of growing up, receiving the private thoughts of adults oh, that are around you. Terrible. Like, oh, that's got to be terrible. Uh, the other aspect of it is, guys would probably be even worse at reading body language than they are now in terms of things because they'd be like we have no idea what's going on yeah. <laughs> women are just mysteries. utterly hopeless yeah like, like really it's, 
You're a mystery. Like it isn't like objectively women are a mystery. It's like <laughs> I know exactly what every man around me is thinking. It's not that like, oh yeah, you know, we're all guys. We're all thinking. No, I know literally what that guy's thinking right now. I have no idea what it would be. Yeah, it would be the whole, you know, miscommunications between men and women would definitely be much, much worse. Or maybe people get better at communicating. We could hope, yeah. Maybe. Optimism? That's what happens to uh, Todd over the course of the book, that he Mm -hmm. gradually realizes, oh, you can actually have some concept of what someone is thinking even when he can't read their thoughts. Yeah, where he talks about Viola's face, like she made that surprised face again, where that's the the face she makes when she's surprised. You're like, yes, yeah, yeah, (laughs) actually, that's a thing. So it really is like people in a relationship learning how to understand each other. But maybe maybe if we're not looking at a, a... 60 or 100 year span but maybe if we're looking at two to 300 years you'd get a, a different sort of ev- like evolving communication Some mode. sort of combination to yeah. set up a system where women just have a bunch of little signs that they hold up and different things to let you know <laughs> <laughs> little paddles yeah. Yeah. <laughs> constantly scoring everything or something how would they do I am an actor so I'm going to take your challenge Paul Mm-hmm. I'm the leader of an acting troupe who travels from town to town, the first one that we've ever seen. And at first, people had the same reaction that you did earlier. How's this even possible? Plays are ruined. We used to like them when we were back home, but now they're not. But I am acting troupe have put on a new type of play that involves shaping our thoughts in an interesting way. So we perform a great tragedy like Hamlet, and there's always two things going on at the same time. There's the, the words of Shakespeare that we're speaking, then there's what's going on in our minds. So you could imagine Claudius uh, watching the play within the play, and all of a sudden the audience hears his thoughts, hears his alarm that it's p- depicting the murder that's happening. So do you, when, when characters in the play have like a, a, a monologue telling the audience what they're feeling, instead you can just actually do it in the noise, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I think that brings method acting oh, up that's to interesting. A, whole, a whole new level. You could have Hamlet's to be or not to be monologue with no words spoken. Mm. I like that. Mm. Simply standing there with a skull in his hand and thinking about Alas, Poor York. At the same time, the audience needs to meet us halfway because it's not completely easy. You have to take into account that we're still thinking about things like what's for dinner? What is my next line? I wonder if I'm going to hook up with that actress after the show. You know, uh, require my, a lot of mental discipline. My butt is itchy. So those are still happening, but there's a layer on top of it of what our character is thinking. I'm I'm Hamlet on one level, then on another level I'm the actor, and you can hear both of those sets of thoughts. But we've learned techniques to a form of rhetoric to make certain thoughts shiny and easy to pick up. Mm. And so you have to learn, listen selectively, even though once in a while you'll hear the audience laugh at something they're not supposed to laugh at, which is a thought that's a little too out of place that punctures through. Like, my butt is really itchy. Can you do accents in your thoughts? I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can. And this is, yeah, method acting, trying to get so deep into the person that you're portraying that even your thoughts sort of rhyme with them and maybe improvise 
even while your words are the words on the page. And so we travel around from one little tiny settlement to another and are a huge sensation, spawning thousands of imitators because the, we, they thought that storytelling, that movies and plays and so on were a thing of the past, but we've brought it back and brought a new dimension to it. The other aspect of it is, you know, this, they always talk about like back in, in Shakespearean times, only men were allowed to be actors. Uh. And so like the, you know, the women's parts would be men dressed up as women. And you would have to do that again. Well, yeah, <laughs> especially if you were using these, these noise techniques, these fancy yeah. noise techniques, it would become a male only theater troupe. But would there perhaps also be female only theater troupes that do much more traditional yeah, much be, more traditional type work. things. Yeah, you just do it normal. Normally. Something like the <laughs> like in Japan, there's a, a fairly famous group, the Takarazuka, who do all female performances of famous, usually musicals, but they they do it all female cast. Uh, so perhaps you'd, you'd be in competition with with some all female, more traditional style theater groups. Oh wow! And they would start off maybe with plays from the old world, but they would radically diverge right. over time. Yeah. I, I love the idea that there'd be, you know, there'd be like a young guy playing, uh, you know, playing Juliet or Ophelia or something. But of course, everyone knows what men's noise sounds like, but nobody <laughs> knows what women's noise sounds like. So it'd be like, you know, I'm thinking about girly thoughts, girly, girly thoughts, yes, pretty dresses. Yeah, <laughs> be, try, be trying to try to figure out what what a woman's internal monologue sounds like when nobody knows. <laughs> isn't isn't that what theater has done for a, a, <laughs> right. exactly, a lot of yeah. the past? Uh, I am a dog trainer from the old world. Hmm. I was very famous dog trainer, sort of a dog whisperer type. <laughs> We were bringing a lot of, uh, we were bringing some, you know, dogs and other, some livestock and things to get started on this new world. And so I came across with everybody. I had a way with animals that nobody, and so, and then we landed on this thing and all the animals started talking. Now, when anybody has a problem with their dog, they say, hey dog, what's the problem? And he goes, I'm hungry. And they go, okay, they feed the dog. <laughs> and I used to really, you know, you had to watch the body language of the animals and, you know, you really get to know them. Uh, and now, yeah, it's it's basically just like it's just like being like a psychologist or something. Like it's just like being a, <laughs> a, a regular person dealing with weird, dumb people. <laughs> uh, a lot of the uh, the sort of nobility of animals that that I that I really respected <laughs> has kind of gone out the window. Dissipated when somewhere. we yeah when we found out that what what they're actually thinking a lot of the time. You know, you get you know like a border collie or. You know, some of the dogs that are really kind of majestic looking are actually incredibly dumb. It, like I, I had like championship dogs in like competitions where they like, you know, jump through hoops and run over things and stuff. And now that's easy. Everyone just goes like explains the dog what, the, what they want the dog to do. The dog goes, OK, I'll do that. And then goes and does it. <laughs> it's very annoying. <laughs> You know, we didn't know why a particular male dog and a female dog, why they wouldn't mate. And now they go, you know, I don't like the look of her. Or That guy, that dog smells, but he smells, smells wrong. Wrong. So I, smelled be, his, uh, I, I smelled his butt and it didn't smell any good. <laughs> so it could be a dog dating agency you could start. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what it's going to have to be. All right. I am a a psychologist. I'm a child psychologist, and mm. I 
I work with children who've undergone traumatic experiences or children who are having difficulty adjusting to to whatever to schooling or to all kinds of different things um, and so I work with them to help them sort of understand their own noise uh, it's hmm. difficult sometimes for for boys to understand that and to be more kind and more caring uh, in their thoughts uh, and I work with young women to to help them be a little more clear with their body language and using their words um, to to explain why people, men, should do or not do certain things or to encourage or discourage them from doing certain things. So I, I work on communication techniques. And on the old world, it was it was difficult to get people to open up sometimes. You know, you, you had difficulties in people being uncommunicative. And while that can still be a problem with some young women, I find it's less of a challenge with young men they're usually a little more open because of the noise. <laughs> but at the same time, the the aggression that sometimes comes out is, is a little, frankly, a little more disturbing than I'd, I'd initially mm. uh, thought. Mm. Uh, some problems run a little deeper than, than I'd realized. Dyslexia becomes a lot more easy to diagnose because you simply mm. ask a kid to, to picture some reading. And um, when you notice that half the letters are the wrong way around or upside down, it becomes quite easy to sort of wow, uh, yeah. diagnose that. So instead of getting maybe an ADHD diagnosis, he's getting dyslexia, a diagnosis for that instead. So, hmm. so yeah, there's some differences, but a lot of similarities actually to, to what I was doing in old world. Interesting. I like that. Hope for the future. We've all Wikipedia the last two books because there's a very apocalyptic ending to the first book. Oh, that I yeah, thought they, that was pretty awful. <laughs> yeah, so we should say so they spend the entire book basically, uh, the vast majority of it anyway, trying to get to Haven, which is the biggest town in the that they know of. They he finally gets there uh, just before they get there. Uh, Viola shot. Yeah, um, and that's it's. You know, it's that you could just imagine it in like in, in like a movie or a TV show or something, right? It's like, yay, everything yes, is everything going is great. great. <laughs> everything is bang. Oh, Ooh, what to say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fast forward and they ride into town or they walk into town. Todd runs into town with Viola dying. Considering this is the biggest town in the city, it's completely deserted. Yeah. Until he gets to the center of the square and old Mr. Prentice, the mayor of Prentice Town, who was leading the army, walks out and is like, so this entire town uh, com completely surrendered. surrendered to me. And they're all waiting inside. And you're mine now, or basically. Yeah, I, I'm the president, so. And now, yeah, now I'm no longer Mayor Prentice. I'm now president of the world, Prentice. And then that's, that's the it. end. <laughs> that's, that's what you get to work with. Yeah. It doesn't seem very hopeful, frankly. I, yeah. Viola it's... certainly doesn't seem to be in a good place. And uh, things don't look too rosy for Todd either. And we also find out that apparently they have a cure for the noise in, right. in this town. Because that, he couldn't hear the mayor while he was running into town. And he couldn't hear anybody in anybody the town. Else. He, that's why I thought the town was abandoned. Mm -hmm. He couldn't hear anybody. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, wow, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty much the worst thing that 
thing that he's dreaded the entire time has come true. Yeah. It's basically the birth of a real dystopia, that a planet that's ruled by this Prentice. Mm-hmm. And everybody's... So, yeah, going to the next couple of books, which we've all jumped ahead to, uh, reading about anyway. It's authoritarian society with the resistance movement in it. Mm-hmm. And, and then you get into interspecies war, don't you? Right. Yeah, the Spackle have got it together. And the other actually interesting aspect we didn't mention is that, as you talked about, that uh, Viola is the, was part of the scouting thing for this other group that we know is coming in about seven months. I think. Yeah, they're already on their way. Like, they, like Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite a few years to get there. I think it takes more than, it's like 50 years or something to make, to make the trip. And so they, I believe in the second or third book, these other colonists also arrive. Mm-hmm. And so there's this sort of three-way war battle conflict between the, the apprentice town, apprentice world settlers, the spackle and the new colonists that are coming. But are most of their problems just Prentice and Aaron when he was still alive? Like, if you kill Prentice in principle, doesn't that make a lot of the problems go away? Well, but I think the problem is that they they don't end up killing Prentice. Right. Um, At the end of the third book. Yeah, yeah, very towards the end of the series. But Yeah, I mean, I guess the scars of you know if you kill prentice it's still pretty hard to ignore the fact that all these people did this thing i yeah. mean not yeah, just that's the, true that's not true. just the people from prentice town but the this whole war thing this, mm-hmm. this whole army that came uh, it's pretty hard to go back to stuff as normal after that yeah I mean, it, it would be the same as any country trying to recover from a, a civil war or a genocide or something. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you've got some long-running, deep-seated scars and, and traumas to deal with. So I think I think that if there is a good future, which there might be, because, I mean, I think at the end they come to a peace with the spackle in, in some way, there might be some sort of reconciliation in some way and, and learning to deal with with things in a more healthy and productive manner. Uh, I think it's it's gonna it, it would be a very very long term future mm. as opposed to things being better right away. There is this cure for the the noise. The noise, right, right. And we've seen that it is possible for communities to survive mm-hmm. and and function. And once all these brand new settlers arrive, like won't these old ones who are not that numerous? Won't they just be like the weird messed up guys? Especially since <laughs> the, the new the new settlers theoretically have better technology mm-hmm. yeah and there's more of them for sure mm-hmm. right yeah definitely yeah. and I mean, they said like two thousand or a couple thousand she says yeah on, on the, the ship on the ship yeah so and then with the cure already in hand maybe it won't become the same type of problem right again if assuming that it's a problem and not some kind of interesting mm-hmm. gift i don't know mm-hmm. i mean obviously it's a problem if you come from a culture where you're not projecting your thoughts all the time right I would definitely consider it a problem. Actually, the pill thing makes into. me kind of sad that they won't be able to, uh, that it'll be optional in the future. Mm. I'm Todd Hewitt. I live in Prentice Town on New World. I'll be a man in one month's time exactly. 
in a town of 146 men that dies a little more with every day that passes. The swamp is the only place anywhere near Prentice Town where you can have half a break from all the noise that men spill out of their cells. There ain't nothing but noise in this world. Nothing but the constant thoughts of men and things coming at you and at you. Ever since the SPACs released the noise germ during the war, If your whole world is one noisy town with no future, sometimes you just gotta leave, even if there ain't nowhere else to go. Cause as me, the almost man, looks up into that town, I can hear the 146 men who remain. I can hear every ruddy last one of them. Their noise washes down the hill like a flood let loose right at me, like a fire, like a monster the size of the sky come to get you cause there ain't nowhere to run. Here's what it's like. Never mind plugging your ears. It don't help at all. You get the face out of you. Discipline. Discipline. Not a king for That was The Knife of Never Letting Go by Patrick Ness. Very exciting book. Yeah, definitely a page turner. I, I sat down to read this book and I didn't get up until I'd finished it. I, I read it straight through on a Sunday afternoon. Oh, really? wow. Yeah, wow. It, was, it was an intense experience. That was four hours of my life where I was short of breath <laughs> almost the entire time. <laughs> Turning pages, Kleenex box sitting next to me because I, I, there were some moments. Um, and yeah, that was, that was a fast-paced... When people talk about page turners, that is what mm. I expect. If, if someone tells me a page turner, like this book is going to be a real page turner... I, I now have a new standard for I can't stop reading yet. And it, there's some there's substance to it, too. I would say it's quite tough in the way that it, almost everything we read has been sort of like post-race, post-gender, you know. Mm. Um, mm. This this book is certainly not afraid to, not going to just kind of hand wave that, that stuff away and be mm. like, oh, it's the future. They figured it out. Yeah. There are certainly issues, current issues, hot topic issues that are, are being dealt with in this book. Yeah, like men and women just like, will they ever learn to listen to each other and pay attention and <laughs> figure it out? Yeah. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> and thank you very much, Emily, for joining us. Well, yeah, thank you for having podcast. me. It's a pleasure to, to come and chat books. I always <laughs> like chatting books. <laughs> you're good at it yeah and like everything we do uh here at loading ready run this was made possible by our awesome patreon subscribers so thank you very much all you people and uh if you like the podcast you can subscribe or uh, rate it on itunes or uh, subscribe to the channel on youtube and please leave us your comments on this video uh, or on this the youtube video or in our forums at loadingbeadyrun.com slash forum. Please let us know what you think. Thank you very much for listening. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. And... 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 Am I supposed to I'm do thinking it? I'm Oh. Can you hear it? Are you saying, may the odds be ever in your favor? Exactly. You can hear me. All right, great. Bye-bye, <laughs> <laughs> everybody. Bye. Bye.
Ci vediamo! <ride> Perfetto!